Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. This morning we are in week number four. Everybody say four. Week number four of our seven series, and if you haven't been with us over the last couple weeks, totally fine. We're going to get you caught up real quick, but um, what I would love you to do is put a reminder on your phone to go back over the next couple of days and listen to week one, two, and three of this conversation as our lead pastor, Gene, and, and Brenda have spoke over, we're, we're going over the seven sayings from the cross, the seven Perfect statements uttered at the most perfect time in history. And uh, we've been using a book as a resource, uh, author by the name of Russell Bradley wrote Gold from Golgotha back in 1945, and these seven statements, these seven golden nuggets, and this morning we are at the, we've reached the halfway point, the very center, if you will, of this entire moment of Jesus on the cross. See, up to this point, Jesus has maintained remarkable composure even in the midst of tremendous pain and suffering. As I've thought about over the last couple weeks and reading these words once again this year for this this Easter, it's, it's incredible to see. I don't know if you've caught this, but it's incredible to see that Jesus' focus throughout his time of suffering on the cross has not been on himself, which is remarkable to think of. The first thing that he said from the cross in week one, he took that extra deep breath inside of him and prayed a prayer over the ones that actually put him on that cross. The very people that were crucifying, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then we too, we came to the point where Jesus, he was having this amazing conversation with the person next to him on the cross who only moments before spoke ill of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, a question regarding salvation and once again, Jesus takes a, a breath and with some of the last words that he were ever to speak on this earth, he he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And then week three, we unpacked Jesus taking care of his mother and one of his good friends at the cross. He said, dear woman, here is your son. And now we have made it to the fourth statement of Jesus, and if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to Mark's gospel, Mark's telling of the crucifixion here, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 15 and begin by looking at verse 33. If you're looking for a title to this morning's message, write this down with me. It's dead weight. Let me set the stage before we get into the actual scripture. It's I think I need to say that out of all of the statements that Jesus makes from the cross, it's this statement right here that we are about to read that brings the most intense moment into picture. 
Let me say from the outset of these words that um, these words are widely talked about. This statement is widely talked about and if I dare say even debated amongst people. There's been thousands of papers that have been inked and written on these words and I wanna stand here in this moment and tell you that I recognize that. I cannot tell you um, how intense this study has been for me over the past couple of weeks. Some of us have heard these words that Jesus says from the cross growing up. Some of us have sung songs regarding this very moment, these very words. And it's these words that we're about to read that drove me back to asking God, God, would you just reveal, open up what the mystery of this moment truly was? Because I've heard these words growing up and if I can be real with you, I just, I, I, I literally have just heard them. And in studying these, you begin to see the weight of this moment. And the responsibility that I feel like I have this morning is to, to bring clarity to the tension that I think we as humanity have. That God doesn't understand our suffering. God doesn't understand my pain in this situation that I'm in. Shoot, it's, it's 2022. There's no way that he can understand. And maybe you have heard from pastors and maybe church leaders growing up that, that they've said God is in your pain. That he's there in the valley of whatever situation that you are facing. But have you ever asked the question when you've heard that? <laughs> yeah, but why do I feel so alone? Do you feel that tension with me? Have you been there? If we would be honest with ourselves, no matter how long you've been in relationship with Jesus, I would imagine that somewhere along your journey, you have asked that question. <laughs> well, then why do I feel so alone? I'm going to let you in on the secret. You ready for it? I've asked God that question. God, where are you in this? God, have you, God, have you abandoned me? And I've really reflected on those moments growing up. And I can tell you that um, it's been in those moments where I have felt alone, that I have felt abandoned. It, I, I kind of thought of those feelings and I, I've come to notice that the, the most I, alone that I felt in my life is from the wrong choices that I've made, the wrong decisions that I've made over time. It's been from those choices that I made that I found myself in the most difficult, most darkened moments of my life. And I instantly think of these moments and I go back to like my high school days. They weren't pretty. <laughs> and uh, living in my parents' house at that time and my basement was in, or <laughs> my bedroom was in the basement. There we go. And I remember in these moments, I would often find myself going down into the basement, turning the lights off, and just sitting there in the darkness, sitting there in the silence. And man, I would love to tell you that with the lights off, 
sitting there in the silence that I felt so close to God. But honestly, I felt so far. It was quite the opposite because in the silence, lie after lie begin to fill the space. And I began to see and believe what those lies were, that Jordan, you are no good. Why in the world did you do that? There's no way that you can go and face anybody tomorrow with what you just did. I felt abandoned, I felt alone. To come to the point and ask, God, where are you? God, why have you left me? Have you been there? Have you asked those questions? Today we've reached the central moment of the cross and it's a sum that have described this moment as the most loneliest moment in human history. The fourth statement from the cross is one of the most intense. If you're taking notes, you should write down this author. His, his name is James Stalker. He wrote the book, the trial and the death of Jesus. And it's a fascinating, fascinating read. I only read in, in, in this chapter where he discusses uh, Jesus' fourth statement. And, and here's what James Stalker said. It is the most appalling sound that had ever pierced the atmosphere of this earth. And that's the weight of the moment that we are about to enter into. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Mark chapter 15. We're gonna go... Uh, and start in verse 33. Are you with me? Are you with me? It says, at noon, something dramatic and honestly something unusual happens here. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Would you bow your heads with me as we go to God in this moment? God, I just, I stand here in all of this moment. I'm not gonna lie, God, it feels like um, this is heavy lifting this morning. But God, I pray that you would speak past my own words. God, that your love and your truth would shine in this moment, that, that the mystery of this moment would be revealed in each and every one of us. God, not, not, just, not just just to, 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 um, to feel good about ourselves, but God, to truly understand the price and the weight, God, that you paid for us. God, I pray over change in this place this morning, that we would leave this, this, this space, this auditorium this morning, that those online would, would leave this conversation to turning away from sin and turning their feet towards you. God, I know that's your prayer for us. I thank you for this moment. In your name we pray. Y'all said amen, amen. Go back with me to verse 33. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. What's, what's really interesting here is, as I've read this, that 
we would know that the sun, right, the, the sun that is probably not shining out there because there's this like cloud that is always hovering over our area, right? But at noon, we know that the sun is at its highest point. So to come to this moment, we, we would think when we read, you know, when we read at noon that it would be bright out, but, but something begins to unfold here in a very different scene. It's interesting to find these words that, that Jesus is there on the cross and it goes completely dark. Something, something has happened it's like the earth's light bulb has shut off on Jesus. Someone once said that it's almost as if the sun refused to allow light to be shown on such a deed of shame. Look with me at what it says in verse 34. It says, at three in the afternoon, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out. At, so at three in the afternoon, that means, that means, I'm not real good at math, but from noon till three, that's three hours, right? Three hours that Jesus was there in complete darkness. And that word darkness, many of us can feel the darkness, that, that way. We can feel this tension in our own lives as a, maybe the lights turn off and the darkness begins to set in on your life. Think about it, like, You've had moments where things are going well in your life, the job is good, maybe the kids are doing well, they, they, they haven't gotten sick in a while, but, but then the situation comes and you feel like, boom, where'd the lights go? And you're sitting there and you're feeling the darkness, the sense and the, the heaviness and the weight that comes over you from whatever situation that you have found yourself in. Jesus was on display he was hanging there in darkness. Can you imagine being part of the onlookers in this moment? Being part of the crowd watching? I started thinking and comparing Jesus' arrival on this earth to the moment where we find him here on the cross and ultimately leading to his death. It's, it's quite interesting that Jesus came to this earth not at daylight, right? but at night. And it was that bright, shining star. What should have been night was transformed into light. The stillness of night, you, you, you think about the evening and, and once darkness settles in, there's a stillness that, that you find. There's, there's a calm of the night and all of a sudden, that was torn through with singing by a host of heavenly angels proclaiming the arrival of Jesus, right? But here now, we come to this moment, and all of a sudden, it's quite the opposite. The singing, well, it's been reduced and replaced by silence. What should, should have been the brightest point of the day, now all of a sudden, the the lights are turned off and it's been replaced by complete darkness. Jesus, he would come to this earth to destroy sin and death, but by dying himself. 
He would come to this world to bring others close, to bring us close. But here we find Jesus in this very moment being rejected by all those around him. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And I I was listening to Pastor Levi Lesko out of Fresh Life Church speak on this on these very words, and he said a simple yet profound statement as, as, as he about said, Jesus cried out. He said, it's, it's Jesus that broke the silence with a cry. Sit with that for a second. The stillness, the silence, the darkness, And all of a sudden, out of all of that, the heaviness comes this agonizing voice. Like, let your mind wander for a second, right? The darkness, the agony, the silence. Like, it must have startled those that were on looking. Like, what? What? What did he just say? Imagine how much extra air that Jesus had to grasp in order to say what was on his heart. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Studying these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, literally comes from a, uh, from a place of a passionate groan. Deeper than that, it's this this guttural scream that caused Jesus to gasp, to cry, my God, my God. See, I know you know this. Jesus knew great pain and suffering, both physical and emotional in his life, but at this moment, he never felt a sense of, of separation that he felt from the Father at this moment. In this moment, there was probably a significant sense in which Jesus maybe rightly would say that he felt forsaken by the Father. When Jesus cries out these words, my God, my God, many believe he's going back and quoting Psalms 22, starting in verse one. He says, it says this, it was a, It was a psalm from David some a thousand years before Jesus' arrival in this very moment. Psalms 22, verse one says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? What's interesting is that any Jews that would have been there at the cross in this moment would have, I'm guessing, would have recognized these words that Jesus spoke, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have recognized that Jesus was going back to the Old Testament with, with, with David here. And what's interesting, I, I, I can say, I, we don't know for certain I don't know that when David wrote these words down some thousand years before that he was describing a specific situation that maybe he was going through in his life. There was nothing in David's life up to this point that would have even come close to describing what he wrote in Psalms 22. And I like to think that when, when David, he penned Psalms 22, that 
I believe God spoke to him in a way that enabled him to describe the suffering and the pain of Jesus. Because think, how many generations before this moment with Jesus that David wrote these words? I don't even know how David would fully grasp everything that he was writing down, but it's amazing how clearly he describes what Jesus was going through on the cross in this moment. You might be like, what, Jordan, what in the world are you talking about? I'd encourage you, make a side note, put a reminder on your phone, go back to Psalms 22 sometime this coming week and read through Psalms 22 because it's, it's agonizing to read but beautiful to watch. As David, he, as he writes, there's this tension that he's creating along the way, but then later on in the chapter, you see that he follows up that tension with truth. He knows who his God is. He knows who his God is. And even though he feels this tension of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He writes then later in verse 24, the victory that is to come. So make a note on your phone. So go back and read Psalms 22. What should also catch our attention in, in Mark chapter 15 is the way that Jesus addresses God in, the, in this moment. Up to this point, Jesus addresses God as God the Father. In all the three statements out of the seven that he, he speaks from from the cross and all those statements and throughout Jesus' teachings, this right here in verse 34 is the only time where Jesus refers to God not as Father, but as God. Throughout the New Testament Gospels, we have record of 21 prayers from Jesus and every single time that Jesus referenced God, he referred to him as Father. In all of those prayers, but it was this moment that he addresses God, not as Father, but as God. Could it be that in Jesus' anguish, as he's quoting Psalms 22, that maybe something happened here, that something is different in this moment, that maybe the relationship that existed between Jesus and God in this moment changed, that it was no longer simply a paternal relationship, but maybe, just maybe, it turned to more of a judicial relationship because it's what many believe that was in this moment that Jesus was paying the price for our sins, for your sins. It was in this very moment. Many scholars and theologians refer to this point. What happened in these three hours from noon until three as the crucifixion within the crucifixion. It's almost now the, the pain that Jesus felt and was going through on the outside of him was now equaled with the pain and the reality of what was going, in, going on on the inside of him. It is believed that at this very moment, the sins of the world were being placed onto Jesus. Though he was sinless, though he was spotless, 
In that moment, every wrong thing that every person who had ever lived was being placed upon him. What a great weight. What a weight. Every single sin, as though our Lord Jesus had committed every one of them. Every sin, every lawless act, every wrong that has ever been done in history, starting with the garden, moving all the way through the end of times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> like, wow. Pastor R. Kent Hughes said it like this, and I'm just gonna read it to you of what this moment felt like. It was wave after wave of the world's sin that was poured over Christ's sinless soul. Again and again during those three hours, his soul recoiled and convulsed as all the lies of civilization, the murders of a thousand killing fields, the terror of the world's armies, and the harmful brew of hatreds, jealousies, and pride were poured onto his purity. Wow. This is the great weight that would have caused Jesus to gasp and to cry out out of the darkness, out of the silence, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, he endured hell so that you and I wouldn't have to. This right here, this moment is to be considered the most lonely moment in history. What do you think of that word forsaken? What do you think of the word abandonment? I can imagine that somewhere along your journey at some point or another that you have felt abandoned, that you have felt alone, that you have felt forsaken, and if you were able to describe those moments in your life, those are some pretty dark moments. Maybe you've been through tough times where for whatever reason you felt as though God had abandoned you. And then that's a whole new level of low. Those are dark moments where somehow you feel like God had just missed what was going on in your life. And boy, can that feel unbearable. I don't want you to miss what Jesus was feeling in this moment. Jesus is feeling loss. His, his emotions are feeling the loss of the Father. The father. And I, I think we, we have to consider Jesus' humanity, again, fully God but fully human, that it must have felt as though everyone around him in this moment had abandoned him. Sure, his friends, those closest to us, I'm sure it's felt as though as God the Father had abandoned his son. But I want to remind you that rejection was nothing new for Jesus because he had been rejected his whole entire life. 
Think back to the night of his birth. Remember that he was turned away from the inn, that there was no room here. He was rejected by his siblings. He was rejected basically as uh, uh, the nation of Israel at large. The Jewish leaders rejected him who should have known of his arrivals. They knew all the prophecies. He was abandoned by his crew, his disciples, who slept when they should have been praying, who ran away when the soldiers showed up. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter. He'd been rejected at every moment of the way, but this had to be a new level for him in his humanity. My God, my God. The truth is that through all of that he experienced, he experienced it also that we can have light. He suffered the punishment that we deserved and which justice demanded. Jesus doesn't merely understand your loneliness, church. He came and he destroyed it. Because he took the sin that separated from you and God and died on your behalf that you no longer have to feel like you're a stranger in this life. You are not an alien in this world. Romans chapter five Starting in verse 21. No, I'm sorry. Romans chapter five, starting in verse six, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, another Bible translation says it, says it this way, at just the right time, when we were unable to help ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, eh, Someone might possibly dare. But in verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The cross wasn't this afterthought. It was the very reason in which he came. It was the reason for his mission. Even though with all that, it still filled him with dread. Like literally the, the night before he was to go to the cross, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. The, the Bible says that as Jesus thought about this moment, not of the pain and the suffering in the physical sense, but the agony of being made to be sin who had never sinned in his entire life, having all of God's wrath placed upon him, absorbing sin, basically jumping on that grenade and letting it go off. The Bible says that the pressure became so heavy for Jesus that he began to sweat blood and asked God, Lord, if there is another way, please let it be. He's basically saying, this is too much. A couple of years ago, Pastor Gene spoke on this message. I went back and listened to it. 
And he made a point that Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people good. Many of us think, well, if I could just be good, if I could just do enough, maybe if I serve here, if I go to church every once in a while, maybe give in the offering bucket every, every once in a good while as well, if I could just be good enough, that's gonna get me to heaven. But no. He died to make dead people come alive. Some of us this morning need to come alive. You see, there was no other way. There was no other way but the cross. We see in this moment God's hate towards sin, but at the same time, we get to see the depths of God's love and the price that he was willing to pay so that you and I can know forgiveness and grace. Picture with me Jesus literally picking us up and carrying us. After Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes on in verse 35. And he says, when some of those who were standing near heard this, They said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. The word that Jesus used for my God, like I said earlier, is Eloi. Sounds like the Aramaic word for the word Elijah. And sadly enough, even at the very end of his life, Jesus was so misunderstood and mocked to the absolute end that the spectators at the cross knew just enough of the Bible to get it completely wrong because they thought Elijah was the one that was gonna come and rescue Jesus from the cross. Verse 36, someone ran and filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the staff, offered it to Jesus. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this was the son of God. Surely this was the son of God. Jesus offered himself. Why? Look in Hebrews chapter 12 with me. It's gonna be on the screen. Chapter 12, verse two. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? Friends, that joy is you. Have you come into this place not feeling loved, feeling abandoned, feeling forsaken? Can I remind you that you were the joy that was set before him? You don't feel love this morning, he loves you. Do you feel abandoned? Friends, we just read that he chose you. 
He chose the cross so that we can come close to be found, to be known in this life. He knows that you're crying out on the inside this morning. But can I remind you that you were the joy that was set before him. Jesus' entire focus was not on his pain, on his suffering, but it was on you. You are the joy that is set before him. He was thinking about you the whole time. He didn't want you to be separated. He didn't want you to feel abandoned, so he came close. He came to make you feel alive and to have life and life to the full, the Bible says. If you could, all over this room, could you bow your heads with me? I wanna read this verse over you this morning. Without any looking around, I just want you to hear the depths of these words. In Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? You might ask that question this morning. What should I do with this message? Literally in verse 31 it says, what shall then we say in response to these things? You ready for it? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, who, how will he not also, along with us, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. Friends, he's interceding for you this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, should persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger or sword, as it is written, for the sake, for your sake, we, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, it says in verse 37, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers, Neither height nor death or anything else in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he's come close. Jesus took that abandonment so that we could never face it again. Friends, you and I were dead weight, but he chose the cross for you to make us right, to bring us closer to God. And can I say it's neither, neither height nor death, death or anything else in creation that will be able to separate you from the love of the Father this morning. There's nothing. This morning, can you just say, Jesus, I received that? 
if you want to look up at me. We're going to go back to Hebrews and end it with this. Hebrews chapter 12. So, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let's run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. Here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we respond to these words this morning? I really believe it's fixing our eyes on Jesus. The band in just a moment is gonna lead us into a song, and, but I would love us to just reflect on what we just heard. How do we respond to these words with Jesus? I honestly think the only thing that we can do is say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing us. Friends, you are his joy. He was thinking about you the entire time. I think our response should be, thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for bearing our sin and our shame, for bringing us close. Thank you for picking us up when we were dead in our sin and our transgressions. God, we, we thank you. God, we were dead. Wait. Friends, it's not like Jesus came alongside of us and we were just hobbling along. Friends, we were literally dead weight. And Jesus came and he picked you up to make you right, to make you have life and life to the full. Friends, can you reflect on your, on your life right now and the things that might be holding you back? I believe that there are areas in our lives that we're caught in, whether it's struggle, sin, addictions. And what Jesus did on the cross should make us reflect and say, wow, God, I am sorry. God, I am sorry for the ways in which I act. I'm sorry for the ways in which I fall short, especially in light of the sacrifice that you made for me. God, you have shown us grace. But friends, can I tell you, we aren't to take that grace and to do whatever we want with it. We don't have the liberty to go out and abuse that grace for us this morning. I don't know who that's for this morning, but because of the grace that Jesus shown you doesn't mean we get to go and just be a wild child out, outside of these walls. God has come close so that we can be made right. Don't abuse the grace. God was willing to give you his son. Don't you think he's in the midst of your situation? Thanks for joining us for today's episode. 
please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.